0: Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to Wholehearted. This is Hannah, as always. Um, Before we get into the episode this week, I am uh, actually not going to beg you to sign up for my Patreon, although you should still do that. But that's not the point. What I am telling you about right now is to please leave me an Apple Podcast review. If you love the show, if you're a supporter of the show, please um, leave a review with your thoughts, your ideas, your compliments. We love compliments. Um, and I'm actually going to read one of my favorite reviews that I've gotten in the past year since the show started. Here's her review. Every episode brings such wonderful storytelling, interesting interviews, and little bits of thought to chew on. I really appreciate how each topic is approached differently in a way that feels appropriate to the differences between the topics, if that makes sense. said. Like, each episode feels unique and thought out in its own right, but the show also manages to work as a nice little cohesive package of the human experience. Which, I mean, I really couldn't ask for a nicer review than that. So, Natalie, thank you so much, and if you want to leave a review, please do. I'm going to pick one for each episode and read it at the beginning, because it's fun. It's fun for me. I'm not going to deny it. It's a good time, So. (laughs) Please leave one if you feel so compelled, and uh, you should still check out my Patreon. Okay, now on to the episode. So it's no secret that we are living in a dark time. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like things have been going well lately. I mean, that would literally be delusional. It's like every day I dread working, but I don't really have anything to look forward to after work either, so I kind of just exist And I feel like this is not a unique experience. But I will say that all of this has really made me search for the light where I can find it. And it's made me discover that there is one thing out there that brings me joy and perspective and even a laugh. I know. Wow. Every time I think about it. I wholeheartedly believe that The Phantom of the Opera, and particularly the 2004 film adaptation, is beyond criticism. And for those who encountered it at a young age, a huge source of impact on their developing psyches. For those of you who are unfamiliar, a concept I find hard to imagine, frankly, The Phantom of the Opera is a musical that has been running on Broadway since 1988 and has become something of an international phenomenon. It tells the story of a young ballerina turned opera star, Christine, in the 1880s, as she navigates her relationship with the presumed ghost of her dead father, the angel of music, who turns out to be a sometimes portrayed as hot, maniacal genius who lives underneath the opera house. He also has a very loaded facial deformity and wears a tuxedo at one point. You know, I never thought I'd be trying to write a zippy synopsis of the Phantom of the Opera, but it's 2020, here we are. Phantom has been running for 32 years, making it the longest running show in Broadway history. It was also turned into a blockbuster movie controversially starring Gerard Butler as the Phantom.
1: There's so many times I'd just be sitting there going, how the hell did I get here? This is awesome. I can't even sing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Emmy Rossum, most known from Shameless as Christine, and not to mention the hottest man alive, Patrick Wilson, as Christine's childhood love, Raoul and some people argue that neither the movie or the stage show have aged well. Personally, it baffles me when people shit on Phantom for being problematic. It's like shitting on a parable or a folktale or, like, Jack and the Beanstalk. No one asked if Eve's behavior on the Garden of Eden made her a great role model girl boss. It's irrelevant. We aren't here to learn a lesson. We aren't here to think critically. We're here for utter escapism, theatrics, camp and Crushed Velvet. The Phantom of the Opera is a foundational text of my very being. It's also fucking funny to me. Nothing piques my interest like hearing that a high school's doing their own production. It brings me incomparable joy, like that blog that exclusively compiles images of high school's bad Beauty and the Beast Beast costumes. It's like that feeling. Basically, just whenever Phantom comes up, I am highly amused. But enough about me. In this episode of Wholehearted, I went out on a search to find people who felt as cosmically and psychically touched by the phantom as I do. I wanted to talk about why it's such a good meme. And I wanted to talk about why it consistently makes such a huge impact on musical fans and middle schoolers everywhere. And boy, did I find some people who were ready to spill. Welcome to Wholehearted, where we feel things all the way. Here we share stories of full bodied commitment to the people, places, things, and ideas we believe in, for better or for worse. I'm your host, Hannah Ray Leach. phantom for the first time in my sixth grade choir class. And sixth grade was not a good time for me. You've heard of being asked out as a joke. Now think of being sexually harassed as a joke. And that was my existence in 2006, 2007. Anyway, shit was bad. Kind of like how it is now. And in coping with that, I just went full throttle obsession mode over phantom. I used to write entire songs worth of lyrics in a composition notebook I read the bad original novel on which the musical is based. I memorized every single word of the movie soundtrack. I was fucking in love with Gerard Butler. I used to vividly imagine him walking beside me as my family would enter restaurants or department stores or, like, wherever we were going in 2007. Phantom, the movie, was one of the first truly steamy pieces of media I was permitted to interact with, and I don't think that was uncommon. But we'll come back to that later, trust me. First, we need to hear from someone who really knows Phantom inside and out.
2: My name is Caitlin Finney and I'm 26. I play Christine Daae, the alternate, on the Phantom World Tour. Caitlin's experience with Phantom as
0: a kid was definitely limited, which has given her a particular perspective on the fandom. I've
2: actually never seen Phantom of the Opera until I until I was a part of the cast. Oh, I really? Thought that I had, but I never had, and that just made me think of fans who like will come, like, like I I don't know how they have the money or how <laughs> they put the money together, but like, w- like we'll just come follow the show or or just like see it. Many many times, uh-huh. like I just don't know where that money comes from, <laughs> or like where that lifestyle comes from. How do you have the time off of work? <laughs> like I would get into my hotel room and have like gifts waiting for me, or like in my dressing room. That that was a normal occurrence. Like I have never experienced anything like that. Like such a a devoted hardcore fan base
0: i wanted to know why she thinks phantom fans tend to be so hardcore
2: it's a weird story like why are we obsessed with this idea of of like this creepy man abducting a girl that he's obsessed with because i guess he loves her voice and she seems like really open to different energies and like mythology (laughs) it's it's so weird and so why do so many like strong women like fall in love With the show, Mm -hmm. I think it really, like, speaks to probably the music Mm -hmm. and the romanticism of it. I think you fall in love with the spectacle. I think if you have a really good phantom, like, that's a really big draw. The music and the
0: romanticism are certainly big draws for people. Strong women, like Caitlin said, but also sometimes even kindergartners, like Gabe.
3: So my fifth birthday party was called Gabe's Phantom Fifth. It like physically makes me cringe a little bit. Though. What I uh, can picture in my head vividly is uh, my parents sitting in our living room cutting up little Phantom of the Opera mask uh, shaped invitations and little paper masks to hand out to the kids and and you know i had my own costume and as as kids arrived you know they they all got little goodie bags and everything and we had the music and i i'm pretty sure there was a cake that had some kind of phantom involvement i don't i don't know we none of us could remember anything about the cake but we also had this um, paper mache little chandelier thing That was like sort of a piñata-type decoration at the show, at the uh, party. I see, I said show instead of party. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't think anyone else knew what was going on. But, you know, does anybody really at a five-year-old's party?
0: (laughs) The aesthetics and drama of Phantom clearly struck Gabe at a young age and might have even influenced him to become the professional musician that he is now. So, right, definitely. The music, the aesthetics, the drama— Then, of course, there's the pining and the yearning that Phantom glorifies. Like, truly. The Phantom takes a lot of masochistic pleasure in his loneliness. Or, like, at least in his lair. Like, that's not a low-effort setup. He's traumatized, but he's not quiet about it at all. My friend Sam told me that this really struck a chord with her. So I kind of connected with this message of Phantom of the Opera of being kind of an outsider, um, of like being lonely and kind of not knowing, you know, like in a very 12-year-old emo girl kind of way, Um, you know pining for guys for the first time, like pining from afar because I didn't have the confidence to go talk to them. And so I really like connected with the Phantom in a weird way. Ironically, Sam's love of Phantom led her to a love of theater that brought her into a whole new pocket of friends. Phantom is still such... A powerful memory for me, um, such a way for me to connect to my adolescence and my feelings of not belonging. Um, not that things ended too great for the Phantom, but I'm happy to say they ended a little better for me. <laughs> I found my place. I figured out where I fit in with the theater kids. Using Phantom as a means of gaining theater friends is an age-old tool. In fact, wearing my Phantom t-shirt to school in seventh grade is what gained me entry to the theater kid clique. And Where would I be without that? (laughs) Imagine the tragedy. My friend Julia, also a theater person, shared an anecdote about her theater kid gang's salacious conversations surrounding the Phantom.
4: So my 8th grade drama club was completely obsessed with the phantom. And I remember one day during dress rehearsal for whatever our show was, there was a little group of us sitting backstage, and we were talking about the phantom and how handsome and mysterious he was. And someone starts by saying that uh, they're his wife, that they're the wife of the phantom. And it set off this chain reaction of everyone laying their different claims to the phantom. So someone said that they were his mistress and someone his true love and whatever whatever and there I am this like tiny little innocent girl who's never said anything scandalous and I chimed in at the end by saying that I was the one who he thought about when he was in bed with everyone else and everyone was quite astonished that little innocent Julia said
0: this scandalous thing. Julia is a textbook good Christian woman so hearing her talk about this feels especially juicy.
4: So, in college, I started dating Joe, who is now my husband, and he had first encountered The Phantom as, a, as the actual musical on stage with his family, and I had first encountered it as the movie. So, we would get into these fierce debates about who was the better Phantom, Michael Crawford or Gerard Butler, and I was adamant that Gerard Butler was a superior vocalist. And, of course, now, years later... Looking back as a rational adult, I will admit that Michael Crawford is legitimately the superior vocalist, but Gerhard Butler was my first love,
0: and nothing can ever quite match that. Now, up until this point, I mean, everything here is great, but I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to get to the psychological core of other phantom-touched individuals, and maybe not surprisingly, it turns out that there are actually a lot of them in my social circle. My friend Jess, an actor and creator I met one summer in Nashville, was very eager to share his experience as a baby queer loving phantom.
5: I had one of my best friends in kindergarten. I went over to his house all the time, and his mom had an Andrew Lloyd Webber Best, like, Greatest Hits CD. One track on that CD was the title song from Phantom of the Opera. So it's Christine and the Phantom. And I had this, like, freakish falsetto voice when I was little. We would be on the way to his house after day of school, like on a Friday, and I was going to spend Friday night and like Saturday morning at his house. We'd play video games and things. His mom would put on the Andrew Lloyd Webber CD, and he would sing the Phantom's part, and I would sing Christine's part. And I think as a queer individual, this was a very important point for me.
0: For Jess, a socially acceptable opportunity to take on the role of a gorgeous, helpless soprano was a dream. Even if it was just in the backseat of someone's minivan, he was just obsessed with the entire world that the phantom exists within.
5: I absolutely went nuts for, like, I'm taken away by this strange, mysterious man who, like, lives under this lavish building, the Opera House, and, like, lives in this. He's got this sweet setup where he, like, gets paid to haunt some places. Like, it's. It's just and like so theatrical. It's not like he lives in the attic and he sneaks out every once in a while for soup. It's like he he demands a salary. Otherwise, he screws everything up and like eventually burns everything down because he didn't get his way. Like it's it's excellent. It's like squatters' rights plus steroids. It's incredible.
0: Jess really gets to something interesting here that I also feel. There is something about the high, high, high drama and stakes of Phantom that is so otherworldly and so frightening that it can become all-consuming. It's very easy to obsess over.
5: There was something about the chaos of it all, at the, the especially in the film, because that's sort of like what I had the most access to. I had access to the film and the soundtrack. But the film was like totally on my mind all the time. I wanted to be swept away or wanted to be kind of like center of attention occupant, you know, everyone's like worried about Christine I loved I loved the like theater setting, there was all this like dramatic stuff about it that absolutely drew me in it was the stuff that no one really talks about like like the settings like how the cobwebs blow away when they turn this chandelier on
0: Jess was very into the chandeliers.
5: I would draw them on printer paper, cut them out, I would color them, and then I would hang them from my ceiling, and I had loads of them. At, to the point where, in my childhood bedroom, I opened up a chandelier shop. I invited my family in, I like decorated the front of my bedroom door like a storefront, and I had little chandeliers on drawn on paper, hanging from my ceiling for sale, hoping that one of my family members would buy them from me.
0: The theatrics of it all were deeply mesmerizing to Jess, and he fully embraced that, despite how bizarre it may have looked from the outside.
5: It was just absolutely magical to me, and absolutely confusing (laughs) to everyone who knew me at that age, because they were like, why? What is this kid doing, building a chandelier out of his Harry Potter Legos and trying to construct some sort of stop motion version of the opening of the Phantom of the Opera. I just, I loved this like idea of like giant big things changing and like wind blowing and big music and just like huge, just, I don't know, knock you back on your on your feet kind of thing.
0: Jess's admiration for the grandeur and power of an all out fantasy like Phantom is very understandable and like obviously relatable to me. And perhaps that obsession foreshadowed Jess becoming the actor that he is today. The next person I talked to took me on an absolute journey.
1: I'm going to talk about Phantom of the Opera for a little bit. A lot of layers to unpack here.
0: This is the voice of my friend Grant. I have known Grant since middle school, and he had a lot to say about the influence of Phantom in his life. Like musician Gabe and actor Jess, Grant can trace Phantom's influence all the way through to where he stands psychologically today. I'm just going to let him speak for himself here because there's truly really not that much for me to steer.
1: Layer number one, let's start real easy. Good music. You got to start there. Andrew Lloyd Webber, no holding back on this one. There's a violin solo in Act 2. Absolutely sends me to the stratosphere. It's so good. It takes me, uh, layer number two, Phantom of the Opera influenced my career. Um, <laughs> even in my college interview, they asked me what the dream was, and I told them it was to manage the Royal Albert Hall in London. And you can trace that back very directly to me watching the 25th anniversary of Phantom of the Opera. Layer number three, uh, a little bit of a normalization of an obsession with the nighttime yeah, I mean, even even back then, uh, I was definitely someone who turned my face away from the garish light of day, if you will, identifying with this character of the Phantom. I, I liked Nighttime. He seemed to like the Nighttime. I thought maybe I should listen further to what this gentleman has to say. The Phantom is, you know, well-read and a genius, basically, not just in music, but in architecture and engineering. Uh, in in art, you know, he's an inventor. And so you watch the production, you see Christine ultimately kind of choose a a physically deformed murderer who lives in a basement of a, you know, opera house over her longtime romantic interest and handsome, wealthy, patron-of-the-arts Rawl. she chooses this deformed murderer just because he's a, like a reclusive genius. And, uh, and when you're 12, those are the moments that change you. And you're probably not thinking about all of the moral implications of being someone like the Phantom. You watch the production, and you come away thinking, Phantom of the Opera? Total badass. And I'm not saying that's healthy, but I'm saying that's how it was. How did this affect middle school psyche? Number one, above average comfort level with psychological darkness. Good and bad can come of that, but let's just leave that there. And then a deep set determination to cling to as many elements of well-roundedness as I possibly could. All through middle school and high school, I was not optimizing for health uh, (laughs) or sleep or anything. I was optimizing for breadth of experiences, you know, all in on show choir and my jazz combo in the music realm, all in on academics, working part-time jobs, track and field and cross country and that whole like realm. Back to the Phantom thing, it's like, well, shoot, if this guy can basically get his way, just being the ultimate like renaissance man why should that not be something i did? i'm not saying it was that direct but uh you know i'd be lying to you if i told you you couldn't trace some of those elements of you know the middle school experience back to *Phantom of the opera
0: grant banky everyone Like many guests on Wholehearted, my friend Christine, who we're talking to next, was in my college a cappella group, and one night at a party after a show, she brought a bottle of Maker's Mark. It somehow came up that the dripping red wax around the top of the bottle of bourbon had inherent phantom vibes, and basically the rest is history, but I was shocked to learn that the Phantom of the Opera is actually, literally, a part of her identity—
6: I think in 94, when she was pregnant with me, she went and saw the show live. Um, she was obsessed with the soundtrack, listened to it all the time. And apparently whenever she would listen to the music, little fetus me would like kick around and react extra to the music and really vibe with it. But my mom loved Phantom so fucking much that she decided to name me Christine after Christine Daaé. And I think if it were up to her and she was feeling a little extra that day, she probably would have fucking given me Die as my middle name or something, but instead she gave me no middle name.
0: I asked Christine when she personally first fell in love with Phantom.
6: I feel like I always was kind of familiar with the music growing up because my mom loved it so much, but I first got to know the music personally very well when the movie with Gerard Butler and Emmy Rossum came out. I think it was, what, 2004, 2005? Um, I think I was like nine or 10, but I watched it with my mom, and I was what can I say, moved to my core. I don't know if it was because my mom was so excited about it, but also I think Gerard Butler as Phantom in that velvety long cape and like cold leather glove was just really did it for me. And maybe that was my sexual awakening. I don't know if what nine or 10 is too young to have your sexual awakening, but it fucking happened. And I was just obsessed with Phantom and Gerard Butler as Phantom. And I just thought he was such a powerful, sexy, spooky, alluring man. And whenever he would sing Christine, I used to pretend like he was singing to me.
0: Literally same. Except my name isn't Christine. If only. I asked Christine how her obsession with Phantom manifested. And for context, Christine has always been, like, an extremely cool girl for as long as I've known her. Like, outfit perfect, hair perfect, makeup perfect always. So imagining this obsession really taking a hold of her was kind of a challenge.
6: I listened to the movie soundtrack and the original Broadway soundtrack constantly. I memorized all the words to Down Once More and I memorized all the lines of the three of them singing that song. And I used to like lock myself in the bathroom with my headphones and lip sync every single part, which is really fucking weird and embarrassing, but it happened and now it's out there. A story that my aunts from Korea love to tell is that they came to New York City so that they could go see the Broadway show with me for the first time. And apparently at the end of it, I was like, that Christine is such a fool. If I were her, I would have dumped Rao immediately, marched myself down to Phantom's Lair and demanded for him to marry me. And apparently they just thought it was hilarious and also kind of shook because I was only 10 years old at the time. One of the
0: things Christine and I enjoy the most about our shared experience with Phantom is the bizarre sense of humor that comes along with looking back at it. With making obscure references to it, with still admitting that the movie is, like, hot no matter what we do, I asked her to explain her take on why Phantom is so funny.
6: That Phantom is fucking dramatic all around. Like, he, his booming announcements in the opera hall over a loudspeaker that probably wasn't even invented yet always demanding about box 5 and the um his flowy like silky deep v shirt that he's wearing when he's playing the piano before the first time Christine rips his mask off his face that little bitch and like you see a little bit of chest hair and you're like ooh that's so alluring but i'm also 9 years old
0: there's a lot in the water here obviously but that's part of what's enjoyable about unpacking this together
6: also, this is something that probably only you would find funny. But when I was looking up fun facts about the movie, the scene where Phantom first takes Christine down to his lair, quote unquote, and you pass like the dirty walls with like hands holding candles. And apparently they used real people's hands to hold them. And if you look back and watch the movie, the hands are like shaking. And I always thought that was so fucking funny because they were probably on like scene 55 of the day. And the same guys were holding the candlesticks in the shot. I don't know.
0: She was right. I did find that shit funny. I asked Christine how she thinks that Phantom impacted her life as a kid and even how it influences her today. She said that on one hand, her interest in Phantom encouraged a tertiary interest in theater and singing. And like, that's ultimately how we met.
6: But on the other end, that may sound more fucked up. Daddy issues. I don't know. But it made me realize from then on, I love a male figure that seems powerful and is like cold and hard on the outside, but on the inside, he's like soft and sensitive and caring, but doesn't know how to show it. Obviously, I don't want a man to come and enchant me and like kidnap me on his little boat into his dungeon. That's a no, but just the way he was so committed to her in the weirdest way and devoted his life to her and his music to her, I mean, that's pretty powerful.
0: Remember Caitlin from the beginning, our actual professional Christine? I wanted to know what she thinks about people expecting feminism from Phantom. Maybe you've been asked this before, but I've heard other Christines have to answer this question too, which is like, when people are like, how does Christine fit into our, like, feminist time?" or like something like that and I feel like that's a hard question to answer because I don't think that Phantom of the Opera is supposed to be interpreted
2: as like a feminist text it's 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 not right (laughs) she does not fit into our modern time but like why should she right it takes place in the late 1800s so yeah it doesn't
0: (laughs) totally doesn't make sense we agreed that there's in fact a lot of things in Phantom that don't add up Like the whole money thing and also Mm -hmm. the, um, just like the drama of this man demanding a salary to haunt people and stuff like that. So
2: weird. Yeah. When I hear that in the show, you're like, but if he's a ghost, why does he need money?
0: (laughs) Right. It doesn't doesn't make make sense. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So yes, as much as we love it, there's a lot of stuff about Phantom that doesn't make any sense. The entire show is magic realism, absurdity, and melodrama. It's embarrassing for some people to even admit that they were ever a fan. Like Gabe saying the memories of his birthday party make him physically cringe. But why is Phantom cringe? I think it's because Phantom, especially when seen at a young age, gets you before you know better. Like it's not a guilty pleasure until you've already earnestly loved it for too long, and then it's too late for it to be ironic. we shouldn't be lusting after the phantom he's a predator murderer and basement dweller who will not think twice about laying hands on his love interest whether she wants that or not but the whole thing is just so intense the death threats the costumes the underground lair with the giant organ and the bed shaped like a swan phantom compels people to entertain shit that just isn't acceptable in everyday life whether that's becoming a reclusive genius or like semi-rejecting a rich, hot count because you may or may not be in love with a ghost, or just like being thirsty for a murderer. So is that why the professional version of Phantom has been running for so long, raking in over $675 million throughout the lifespan of the Broadway show alone? Well, why is any franchise successful? why is Star Wars, or now controversially, Harry Potter, successful? It's the same reason for all of them, on a macro level. They're an escape. They take you away from the boring shit of your everyday life, and that is just inherently exciting. And I would argue that Phantom does it more than almost any other phenomenon I've ever witnessed, especially for the emo, quirky, maybe gay, vaguely outcasted middle school types. Not only does it make you forget about your real life problems and worries, but it immerses you in this highly curated Halloween meets Valentine's Day crossover aesthetic world of chandeliers, black velvet, and dank but somehow sexy opera house dungeons, and makes you ask yourself, why do I kind of wish I was Christine in spite of all the obvious danger? Phantom is morbid and disturbing and really pushes its characters to the absolute end of their ropes. And that, my friends, is drama. And that is what middle schoolers love to watch and sometimes are even formed by. Now, I know that I am perhaps more susceptible to media influence than the average person. I'm a big fan of things. But as we have learned, I'm not the only person whose sexual awakening was tied to a man in a frilly shirt. Talking to all of these people about Phantom and hearing about how it shaped their still forming brains has made me accept that it actually, maybe just is that powerful of a show in all its bizarreness and grandeur and romance. It's powerful, and you know what kind of power it is? It's the power of the music of the night. Was written, hosted, produced, and engineered by me, Hannah Ray Leach. As always, the Wholehearted team are beautiful angel people. This episode was mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman, and story edits were provided by Isabel Robertson. Wholehearted's theme music and episode music is made by Josh Perlman Hall, and our show artwork is by Ayanna Cheston. If you love the show, If you feel seen, if you had a Phantom of the Opera Sexual Awakening and you want to support me in making more shitposty content like this, uh, head over to patreon.com slash wholeheartedpodcast and join the club, join the team. I have so much fun, uh, like just recording stupid things and posting them on there. And I have a lot of really cute Patreon exclusive merch there too. So if you sign up, you can gain some access to that. Thank you so much for listening again. Uh, Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Share this episode with a friend. And um, I will see you next time. Have you ever seen Michael Crawford on a cereal box?
3: Who's Michael Crawford?
1: Exactly my point. He
3: he was the Phantom of the Opera on Broadway.
1: Now, my mom, she's seen that musical 27 times, and she put Michael Crawford's picture in our refrigerator. Yeah, not on it. In it.